0: All right, good morning. 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 That's very good. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, It is an honor and a a privilege for me uh, and my family to have an opportunity to fellowship with you all this morning. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Uh, My wife just stepped out to take our seven-year-old out to Children's Church to fellowship with your children. So we'll let you know how that goes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, my name is Wamba Johnson. My wife and I have been married for 17 years, uh, and we have five children together. Um, They're all here with me this morning. Uh, They're always embarrassed if I ask them to stand up, so I won't. (laughs) Uh, But I have the privilege to open up the scriptures with you all this morning, and so... I want to do that and and be faithful to our time. And so let me read for you the text that that we'll be looking at. Uh, We're in Acts chapter 26. And we're in verse 19. It says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying, both to the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said will come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the grave, he will proclaim light, both to our people and to the Gentiles." So Easter's over, right? Yeah. The new outfits are in the same pile with the old outfits. <laughs> right? Uh, the eggs are empty. The candy wrappers are all thrown away. You know, the Easter egg hunt is over. You know, the victorious, jubilant songs of He is Risen have all kind of died down. We're kind of back into the norm of life, right? Our normal routine. And so the question is, what are we to do with the resurrection now? What are we to do with the truth and the reality of the resurrection now? May I suggest to you that the resurrection is now more important than it has ever been before. The Christian celebrates the resurrection every day. Every day is resurrection day for us. We are, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, he says, Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him, Everywhere, everywhere, the fragrance of the knowledge of him. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Every day is resurrection day for us. This is the power of the transformative testimony. That's what we'll be talking about today. I think the Apostle Paul gives us a great example of how we can be the aroma of the gospel wherever we are in whatever circumstance or situation that we find ourselves. And I think it's very unique and instructive for us, the situation that we find Paul in. Because Paul is here in a position where he has the opportunity to defend himself really before some of the most prominent and powerful men and women at that time. And he can take this opportunity to defend himself. But instead, he actually takes it as an opportunity to give testimony to the resurrection and the power of Christ Jesus. And I would suggest that that is a model and a pattern for us on this Sunday, after we have celebrated the resurrection so greatly, and some of us a little bit too much. (laughs) The evidence of the resurrection is in our waistline. (laughs) We've enjoyed the good meal and celebrated. He is risen. And that is a beautiful thing. And so I really want to look at this in three sections. I think there is a moment that Paul refers to very often. Every time he has an opportunity, he refers to this moment. And he tells this story over and over and over again. And it's very significant. It's even supernatural. But then there's also a, a mission that he's called to. And he's serious about this mission, y'all. Shipwrecked, beaten, it doesn't matter. He's on mission. But then there's also a message, a very clear message. And I think in this section of the text that we're looking at, we'll see those three things. We'll see the moment, at least I'm referring to it. We'll see the mission and how he we went about it. And then we'll also hear this message that he proclaimed consistently, and it's the same message that we ought to as well. And so in verse 19, he references this moment. He says, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. First question, what in the world is the heavenly vision he's talking about? Well, when we go back, he gave initially reference to that in Acts chapter 9. He lays out the details, and he begins to go into a uh, lengthy kind of exposition of all that happened. But in our text, in the same chapter that we're in, if we just scoop back a little bit at verses 14 through 18, he gives us a synopsis of that moment. And what he says... And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those In which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness for sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In describing this moment, I want to draw our attention to two things. One is the significance of the moment. This moment is very significant. The second is the supernatural nature of the moment. What's significant about the moment? Well, I would venture to say that everything, everything rides on this moment. Everything changes from this point on for Paul in this moment. I would say his apostleship rides on this moment. Because one of the qualifications for being an apostle is the fact that you've seen the risen Christ. So if this moment doesn't happen, Paul's not an apostle. His conversion, his conversion from a self-righteous Pharisee to one who trusts in Christ for his righteousness. His whole conversion is wrapped up in this moment. But not only that, His very credibility. If this moment doesn't happen, Paul has no credibility. The fact is, this moment gives him credibility, and it gives credibility to his message. Because he's not alone in this moment, right? What does he say? He says, it was me and my boys who were with me. The whole posse fell on the ground. We we were on our way to do some damage, and God confronted us and we fell to the ground. We couldn't move. And guess what, if that wasn't a real moment, who were the first people to say, Paul, you lying boss, those are not facts, that is not it, and you know, you're pulling wool over people's eyes, you're a charlatan. They would be the first people to call him out on that. But the fact that they didn't, and the fact that they helped him into Damascus even when he was blind, gives witness to the fact that Paul is here telling the truth. These are all facts, no fiction. Paul is here telling us that I saw the risen Christ. He confronted me personally. This is a moment that you just don't forget. If you're a believer, you know what that moment was like. There was a moment in your life when you were confronted with Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if you saw Jesus, and if he spoke to you in an audible voice, was it in Hebrew, Latin, Greek, or whatever, that's not the case. The reality is that we all have been confronted by the truth of who Christ is, and how much we have offended him by our own self-righteousness, by our own disobedience, and if it, it floored us. If that's the case, and you're a believer in here, you know what that moment is like, I remember that moment. And so I want you to get that in your mind. So we can see this moment is significant in the light of Paul the apostle, but it's also significant in our lives. But not only was it significant, it was supernatural. This is not a natural occurrence. This doesn't happen every day. In fact, not only was it supernatural, the nature of the vision was powerful and purposeful. God displayed his power. Look at this. Let's look at verse 13. So same chapter, one verse ahead. Paul says, at midday, all right, note to self. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven. What? Brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journey with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard to kick against the goals. And I said, who are you, Lord? All this dialogue, all of this is happening. This is a supernatural thing. But in its supernatural nature, it is powerful. It is powerful. The fact that it defied nature In the fact that it defined authority. The fact that it disrupted Paul's heart. This is a supernatural occurrence here. The vision defied nature, defied nature. He says it was high noon. It was a high noon showdown. And God showed up. So he turned up so much that the sun paled in comparison. So guys, the sun is in the sky. This is not a nighttime thing. This is God who is the source of light showing up in such a way that he defied nature and it floored everyone who saw it. You can't forget a moment like that. Christ created all things. Here he is illuminating himself Above the most glorious heavenly being that he created, the sun. This is amazing. It points to the unrestrained generosity of God towards his elect children, that he will pull out all stops to get you on the path that he wants you on. Here is a man who was so violently opposed to Jesus of Nazareth that he was murdering, killing, Dragging, beating, trying to make them renounce their faith. I mean, he was about it. He was committed. He was committed. And not only him, he was such a leader that he had people with him. And not only just normal people, he had the political powers at the time writing him letters. Yeah, Paul, I'm with you, bro. There you go. I'm going to support you on that missionary journey. Take him out. The divine nature of this encounter defied all nature. But I want us to see the fact that God is so committed to his mission, so committed to his people, that he is willing to defy the natural laws of nature to get our attention. You don't forget a moment like that. However, we also see that Jesus is here in this moment defining authority. The supernatural nature of this, we're looking at the fact that this is a powerful vision. He defied nature, but he also goes in and defines authority. How do we know that? He didn't just speak in a verbal language to Saul that he understood. He did say, yeah, he spoke in Hebrew. He was speaking my language. I understood what he was saying. But it wasn't just the words. It was the body language. Think about it. His His body language drew the type of attention from Paul that he probably had never experienced before, ever in his life. And see, Paul wasn't unfamiliar with authority, right? He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew power dynamics. And here in this situation, he encountered a power that was so miraculous, he was without words. He was floored. He was floored and he had to ask, who are you? Who are you? And he uses, Lord, like, I don't know who you are, but you're somebody important, and I need to pay attention and I need to know. Who are you, Lord? So the Lord answers him graciously. How gracious is that, that the Lord would answer our inquiries? He answered him, and he said, I am Jesus. I am the one whom you were persecuting. Understand who I am. I am the supreme being. There is no higher authority. All creation in heaven and earth and under the earth exists because of my word. And here, my word is confronting you. Paul, you out of line, bro. You out of line. And this is not okay. He takes it personal. In this encounter, Paul is so keenly aware of whoever is confronting him that, that this is no ordinary man, that it disrupted his heart. His heart is transformed here because he thought with all of the zeal that he had that he was serving Yahweh, that this was the will of the Lord for him to persecute these heretics who are following this Jesus, and I'm on the right side. And he's confronted by Jesus that says, no, bro, you got it wrong. Your vision is too small. Let me let you know who I am and what I'm about. And guess what? It is gracious for God to do that for any of us. It is a gracious thing for God to reveal himself to us. Because apart from him revealing himself to us, we would not know who he is but he has revealed himself to us in creation. He has revealed himself to us in his word. He has revealed himself to us through our circumstances. He has revealed himself to us through our family, through our friends, through those who know him and who can speak authoritatively with a testimony of their interaction and their transformation that Christ has done in their lives. So this moment disrupts uh, Paul's heart from a terrorizer to a testifier. He was a, terrorizer. he was a terrorist to those who followed the way. He wanted them to be uneasy and without peace. But now he moves from that position to a testifier, one who is standing here, get the moment, King Agrippa, Festus, Beatrice, and whoever else is in the house, everyone under the sound of my voice, I am testifying that Jesus the Christ has transformed me. And he did it in such a miraculous way that it transformed everything. And it's never been the same since. It was a supernatural thing. It was a significant thing. And I hope that we can get from this the fact that no one is outside of the reach of the long arm of God. No one. Because Paul would be a candidate for that guy. He was a murderer. He was a terrorist. You're too far gone. But here, God is so committed to his elect, wherever they are, that he would bend the laws of nature and confront them right where they are to get you on the right path. That's a loving thing. That's a loving God. That is so compassion. That is such generosity that it should transform our hearts. It should cause us to look differently at the circumstances. And Paul is here giving testimony to this moment. But not only was it powerful, it was purposeful. Because he wasn't just shaking in his boots with fear, but he was also comforted with the fact that I have a plan for you. I know the plans that I have for you. And I need to make sure that you're in line with those things. So I'm going to give you a glimpse of what it is. Let's look quickly at verse 16. This is what the risen Lord says to him. He says, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles whom I am sending you to to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness for sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See, here's the thing. When Christ brings you low in a miraculous encounter with him, it's never without a purpose. God doesn't waste his resources. God is calling you in those moments to rise up and stand for him. And he will strengthen your weak knees. He will strengthen your arms. He will give you the resolve to be able to stand up in whatever circumstance that it is. But first, you must be brought low. You must first understand who you're dealing with. He is conspiring, God is, on all levels to reveal, to rescue and to reassign you just as he did for Paul. That's what he did. He revealed himself to him. He said, who, who is he? He's the Lord. Who, who am I in him? I'm a child of God. What is he doing through me? He's redeeming all things, and you're a part of it. He rescues us. See, it's, it's a gracious thing for God To rescue us. What is he rescuing us from? What was he rescuing Paul from? He was rescuing Paul from him. (laughs) He was rescuing Paul from the wrath of God. He said, Paul, you're kicking against the goals, man. You can't resist my will. I'm too strong for this. You can't win. You can't win. Arms are too short to box with God. He's rescuing you from him, from the wrath of God. But not only that, he is rescuing you from the fear of men. The Jews and the Gentiles, for Paul, they were breathing murderous threats, arresting him, beating him. But none could take his life. He said, I will rescue you from them. The suffering Christ was an offense to the Jews. They didn't didn't want to be part of a suffering Christ. The Messiah He's come to overturn everything. All he does is win. What do you mean he's suffering? That's not the Messiah we're looking for. They were offended by the fact that Christ would claim to be the Messiah and then go through this suffering on a Roman cross and die? And you're saying this is the Messiah? Paul, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. The question is, Is the suffering Christ an offense to you? Is it hard for you to associate with someone who would make themselves low so that they can lift you up? That's what Christ did. He humbled himself so that he could bring us into a relationship with the Father. He had to suffer so that we didn't suffer. What a gracious thing. What a miraculous thing. But not only did he reveal himself to him, not only did he rescue him, but he reassigned him. And God does the same thing for us. He said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. This represents the nations. Everyone who is non-Jew. The Gentiles. The nations. I'm reassigning you, Paul. You thought you were coming after the people that were following the way. I'm going to reroute you and send you to the nations. He will repurpose what appeals, or excuse me, what appears to be waste and make it wonderful. He will take what is considered trash and make it tremendous treasure. He has done so from the very beginning, taking what was without form and void and speaking order by giving his shape and splendor. This is our Lord, and he is sending out his redeemed people with a radical purpose and vision. This is the heavenly vision that Paul encountered, and it repurposed him, and it can repurpose you as well. The moment of the encounter with the resurrected Christ was significant, and it was supernatural. But it informed the mission. Because now that we understand who the authority is and we understand what our purpose is and what the marching orders are, now we can go out on mission. And he can be missional. Here, Paul, in verse 20 and 22, he says, declare first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, remember, the nations, that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized him in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great. The nations, the nations, the nations. The nations is the mission. The resurrected Christ, when he appeared to his disciples, what was on his heart? The nations. Go and make disciples Of all nations, he commanded you. How are we doing with that commission? Are we following the master's plan? Is our vision of the kingdom limited by the people who fit our social, economic, or political parties? Every ethnic is the aim. All nations, all people, every ethnic group. And what's instructive about this, this great commission that we look at In Matthew 28, is in verse 17, when the resurrected Christ appeared, he says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But what? Some doubted. Some doubted. You see the resurrected Christ, and you doubt. Where are we? Where are we? Let's take personal inventory. Where are we? Are we in a place where we are doubting? Or are we down for the cause? Are we on mission? Isaiah 49 6 says, It would be too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. I will make you as a light for the nations, that salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is the mission. How about us? God's miraculous vision for the kingdom includes the nations, small and great, noble and base, foolish and wise, to open their eyes, to see the beauty of Christ in the gospel. Are we committed to that mission? Or are we still doubting whether God can use somebody like me? He used Paul, (laughs) he's using me. (laughs) And I might be up here speaking, but I'm no special tool. He can use you too. Are you committed to that mission and that vision? Does that fuel your life? Does that give you a sense of purpose? Or are we simply going along to get along with the cultural standard, to not stick out too much, just enough Jesus not to be weird, just enough church not to be missed, just enough conversation about spiritual things but not on mission. So if you've had this moment in this encounter with Jesus, he has clarified what the mission is. It is the nation's. But you can't go on mission until you know what the message is. And so let's take a few minutes as we draw to a close here to look at the message. What was the message that Paul preached? In verse 22 and 23, He says, I'm saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said will come to pass. I'm not adding anything to it. I'm not taking anything away. This is my message that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the grave, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. Remember, the nations. The message Paul preached is plainly articulated in three points. They are the foundation of the gospel. His point is this, that Christ is the suffering servant. He tells us that in verse 23. That he is the resurrected redeemer. And that he is the light of liberation. The suffering servant. Jesus was appointed to suffer on a cross. Jesus himself gave witness to this fact in Luke chapter 24 and 25. He says, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer for these things, excuse me, suffer these things and enter into his glory? Remember, he's on the road to Emmaus, right? And he began with Moses and all the prophets, interpreting for them all that the scripture said concerning himself. And we scoot down further in that Luke 24 passage, and he says, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Wow. What a gracious day. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should, what? Suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And he says, you are witnesses of these things. This is the message that Christ suffered on our behalf. He took the full brunt of the wrath of God so that we don't have to because we couldn't handle it. We couldn't handle it. So he took it upon himself for us. But not only that, he's a resurrected redeemer. In verse 23, he says, the Messiah would be the first to rise from the dead. The first to rise from the dead. He is the perfecter of the resurrection and makes it available to the saints. I mean, y'all want to get on something. I want to know what that's like. What is it like to experience the resurrection in Christ? That is ours. We can look forward to that, that the dead shall rise and be with him. God is the God of the living, not the dead. He will resurrect us to new life. And we experience a glimpse of that here as we transition from darkness to light. But guess what? There is a greater resurrection that we look forward to when he returns for us. I want to know what that's like. Give me some of that. Here he says in in Colossians 1.18, he says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, that he might be supreme, that he might be the first in everything. In 1 Corinthians 15.20, he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. As the first of the resurrection, Jesus has not raised from the dead temporarily. It wasn't a temporary thing. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he died again. Here is Jesus. He rose from the dead and conquered death. See, in, in, in leadership, we have this saying that says, you can't take somebody somewhere you've never been. So Jesus had to come, experience, die, be buried, stay there three days, and then rise again, so that he could take us through that process, take us through that journey safely, because he's been there. He knows what it's like. He knows that this isn't the end of the story. There is so much more. It is so much greater. It's so much sweeter. But he had to go there first, so that he could pave the way for us to follow him. And lastly, not only is he the suffering servant, not only is he the resurrected redeemer, but he is the light of liberation. 18 says, to open the eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in him. I'm going to run this down. He says... I'm going to illuminate their eyes and turn their hearts. There's a saying that says your heart doesn't turn for what your eyes can't see. So God has to open up the eyes of those who are blind so that they can see the glory of Christ. That's what he did to Paul, and it floored him. It floored him. He lost his sight temporarily. Here's the thing. We don't see Christ the way we ought to. And that's why after Resurrection Sunday celebration, we went back to celebrating life as we normally do. Unfortunately, we do that all too often. Pastor Cameron comes up here and he preaches Christ and he illuminates the gospel. And then we go out in the fellowship hall and talk about, you know, the latest sitcom or, you know. No, 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 no. When you see Christ in all that he is, you see nothing the same again, ever. But not only that, he breaks the bonds of slavery to Satan. He brings forgiveness instead of condemnation. He gives a place of belonging, a sense of family. He gives a new identity. He sets us apart, makes us holy. He is the light shining the path out of darkness and the resurrection sealed the deal. Do you see it? Do you see the light of Christ? Or is something impairing your vision? Are you so enamored with something else that you can't see what we're talking about? It's like, man, you seem excited about it, but I don't really, uh, I don't really believe what you're talking about. Well, here's the thing. He will give a transcendent cause for your life. His glory will be your glory. He will share his glory with you. And you don't know how good it is until you tasted it. And so what I ask of you is, are you willing to taste and see that the Lord is good? Because he truly is good. Are you willing to allow somebody to come alongside you? And even if you can't see it right now, Just follow their guide for a little while. Paul had to follow the guide of his friends to Damascus. He was blind. Some other folks had to come alongside him and help him to see the beauty of Christ and what that meant. We need those type of people. Will you be that for someone else if you are a believer? Will you help them to see the light? Will you stick with them long enough for them just to get a glimpse of it, Just, just a taste? just enough for me to come back next week. Just for me to come back for another lunch. And yeah, that's usually my trick, right? With college students, man, they love to eat. <laughs> they love to eat, man. And you know what? I'm happy to feed them. Because there's something about building a friendship and having fellowship with someone over a meal that's significant. And so even if you're not interested, even if they're not interested in tasting Jesus right away, would you be willing to taste some Fox Brothers barbecue with me for 30 minutes to an hour? (laughs) Whatever it takes, because I have a message to communicate to you, because I'm on mission for the resurrected Christ, and because I want to tell you about this moment that I can't forget. And man, I'm not pushing anything on you. I just want to tell you about this moment as my timer goes off. (laughs) I want to tell you about this moment. And so here's what I want to end with. I want to say this. Don't shrink the power of the gospel to a little, small community of people that you like and get along with. God has called us to the nations to transform the world. What will it take for that to happen? A few things I'm glad you asked. It will take those who know Christ to remember the moment. It will take you spending some time, reflect, man, what, what was that moment like for me? And get in touch with those feelings again, that zeal and that passion that drove you to throw all your crazy music out the window and do a fast for 30, 40 days. Maybe y'all didn't have that experience. That was me. I'm sorry. I'm casting my thought. The reality is something changed in you. And you, you got to get in touch with that again, afresh, anew. And I would venture to say that that is what the resurrection and celebrating the resurrection should do. It should cause us to remember. That's the purpose of Sunday morning worship, to remember God and all of his benefits. But remember that moment and then be willing to share that story with somebody else. That's pretty simple. But here's the thing, in order to be able to do that, you have to be able and be willing to, as Paul Tripp says, is to not, to use an opportunity for ministry, not use an opportunity for ministry as an opportunity for personal offense. There are some things that you're going to encounter, and you are going to get ticked. And you're like, man, I can't believe that person said that. I can't believe that they treated me that way. Guess what? That is a ministry moment. That is an opportunity for you to not take a personal offense, but for you to use it as an opportunity to give testimony to Christ. And then lastly, if you don't know what in the world we're talking about, and you don't know and you haven't experienced that moment where Christ confronted you, then I would say that Christ is confronting you here now through the word preached, through the message taught. What are you gonna do with it? Will you walk away and say, man, they're excited about something, but uh, I'm not going back over there again. Or will you inquire, who is this Christ? What is this resurrection stuff? What is this hope of salvation? I would implore you to pull somebody to the side and just ask the question. Just ask the question. That's tasting. And I guarantee, if you're willing to taste, then you will see that the Lord is good. Can I pray for us? Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy, for the goodness that you bestow upon us. You lavish your love upon us. You overwhelm us with how generous you are. My Lord, it humbles me to think that you would use me in this moment to communicate to your people. It humbles me to think that thousands of years later after the resurrection, you are still committed to the same message. You are still committed to the same message. And you are creating those moments around the world where people encounter you. Would you do that here? Would you be gracious to do that here today? I pray in the name of your son, Christ Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would bring glory to yourself by bringing men and women into your kingdom. Do it for your glory, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen.